It's that time of the year again, lake season. My designated lake friend is Megan. We spend as many days as we can at the lake from early spring to fall every year. Driving from Atlanta, it takes us roughly 30 minutes if there's no traffic, which if you've ever been to Georgia, know that's rare. My parents' lake house is nestled in a little cove of Lake Lanier with two other houses on the cove. There's a serene beauty to the area that describing just doesn't do justice. It's nice because the other houses mainly stay empty. We see the neighbors every now and again, but it's like we have our own private slice of heaven. Megan and I are spending Friday through Monday at the lake for a long weekend. We always plan our first long weekend right before spring break. That way the lake isn't packed yet and majority of the peaceful waters are left untouched by tubing, boats, and parties. We get up to the house early Friday morning to de-winterize the house and boat. It takes all day, but we have enough time to do a lap hiking around the cove before the sun sets. The nice thing about Lake Lanier is it's prime trail hiking as well. All the paths are maintained and easy hikes, long enough to make you feel like you worked for it without all the huffing and puffing hiking up a mountain takes. We do the Laurel Ridge Trail. It's four miles and takes us two hours. The birds are singing and the sun peeks through the branches up above us, creating a watercolor shadow on the trail before us. It's a blissful 70 degree day. As we round a bend, the lake comes into view. The sun reflects on the water. The gentle ripples give the sunbeams a stage to dance on, making the water look like it's glimmering. Back at the house, we make our signature lake drink, Lost Lake. Megan had it at a bar in Chicago, and the first sip reminded her of all the summers we spent on Lake Lanier in college. It's part of the tradition we've cultivated throughout the years, almost ritualistic. Since it is a little chillier than normal, we're going to do a bonfire. We usually hang out on the screen porch, but this time it would be just a bit too cold. The outside lights have come on, but there's still some light left in the day. The fire pit is in the corner of our lot, and the lot has an edge that pushes past the shoreline and juts out, creating almost an island with a perfect view of the open scenery. Before getting started on the fire, we both look out across the tranquil water, an orange sunset with clouds looking purple over the sky, reflecting on the water. We stand and appreciate the beauty we have the privilege of seeing. The fire is roaring. Meg and I have been enjoying our drinks and talk about our plan for the summer. The conversation comes to a natural pause, and I look across the fire and she breaks out in a mischievous grin. I give her a quizzical look back. What are you smiling at over there? She bites her lip and smiles harder. What? Okay, okay. Wanna know a fun fact? And I reply back. Um, always. Well, you know how they built the lake over a lost city or something? Yeah, go on. I found out where the old stadium is. We should go check it out tomorrow. I ask her how she found out about this spot, and all she answers is, I have my ways. I am up at the crack of dawn today, eager to get it started. I make a pot of coffee and enjoy it on the deck. I grip both hands around my mug, letting the warmth spread through my hands and savoring each sip. I'm reflective of my time and pondering my future when I hear a noise from behind me. I turn around and see the porch door shutting as Megan makes her way to the deck. A mug of coffee and two blankets in her hands. She comes and sits across from me on the deck. Both of us are silent and just enjoying the peaceful nature. 
That's what I've always liked best about Megan. She's peaceful, relaxed, and comfortable in silence. We go to the store, gather food for the rest of the time we're here, sunscreen, and all the odds and ends that come up at the beginning of the season. Back at the house, we eat a quick lunch and pack the boat for the rest of the afternoon. Once we leave our cove, we take our annual lap around the area of the lake. We see what new developments have sprung up, if any houses got remodeled, talk with the neighbors we haven't seen for a while. We put the coordinates in our phones where the seating for Looper Speedway is. It's going to take us a while to get there, but Megan is insistent we do it today. Her reasoning is today's almost over, so if it's a bust, at least we didn't waste a whole day, our last full day, and she has a point. As we are approaching the area, I can see something stick out of the water. It looks like a wall from here. We get closer and closer until the shape is made out. Megan is gleeful. She points and says, They're here! While they aren't what I was picturing, it is cool to see a piece of George's history that I didn't know about. Last night, I looked up the history of Looper Speedway, and it's one of the few times that something from Lake Lanier's past is visible from the surface of the water. We anchor the boat by the shore. However, we have to embrace the chilly water to get to it. To say the water is cold is an understatement, but we're giddy with excitement, so the chilly shock just makes us laugh more and more as we make our way to the stands. We have to be careful and move slowly to make it to the stands. There's a lot of debris by the stadium. Apparently, it was just left, being used up until the water inched its way onto the speedway. There isn't much to the stands. It's a few level of seats, and you can faintly see them continue under the surface of the water until they disappear. We lounge on the stands, soaking in the last light of the day. We were there for maybe an hour, talking and sunning, then my stomach rumbled. Realizing how hungry we were, it was time to get back home before sunset, which by the looks of it, didn't seem too long to go. I dipped my foot in the water, and it feels so much colder than earlier. Swimming back to the boat is going to suck. As I lower myself deeper and deeper into the water, I had to give a sharp inhale as it went over my stomach and chest. It's just for five minutes. As I am moving slowly back to the boat, I feel a rush of cold water move past my legs. Shivers go up my spine and goosebumps cover my body. The rush comes again and something grazes against my leg. I let out a yelp and Megan asks, What is it? I think a fish is swimming around my legs. Better hope it's not a catfish. It'll bite your toes off. I laugh back, but it's forced. I have a weird feeling just on the outskirts of my conscience. Almost like a catfish could bite my leg off. Having the thing swimming around my legs under the murky water makes me feel like prey. I start moving faster, swimming harder to the boat. I'm so close. I hear Megan shout from behind. Be careful. Try not to splash so much. You don't want to get caught on something. Just as she's saying it, I feel something around my foot. I try to swim forward, but I'm anchored in place. Something wrapped around my ankle. I pull my leg again and again, but it feels like the more I pull, the tighter my leg is tangled. You have to relax. Pulling your leg is going to make it worse and you don't want to hurt yourself. The sun has started to set and this is making the water darker. I was never able to see my ankle, but now I can't see anything under the surface. Megan says she'll go under and see she can loosen whatever's on my ankle. I lose sight of her as she descends into the water. I can feel her hands trail down my leg and now she's feeling around my ankle. I feel a pull as she attempts to loosen whatever it is I'm wrapped in. 
She resurfaces for just a minute and goes right back down again. She's at my ankle for a moment, and then I feel a huge pull. It drags me underwater for a second. I wait to see what Megan's doing, but I can't feel her hands anymore. As I'm waiting, an air bubble floats to the surface and pops. She's been down there way too long. She must be caught on something. I take a deep breath and force myself underwater. I feel around for her, but there's nothing around me. I need to take another breath. I ascend to the surface, get some good breaths in, and then dive down again to figure out what the heck happened to Megan and get my foot untangled. I'm pulling myself down and down. It's getting colder and colder. There's no light. With the sun setting in already dark waters, there's no way a person would be able to orient themselves. The object wrapped around my leg goes too far down. I have to resurface to breathe. I can't make it a second longer. As I suck in air on contact with the surface, I'm crying. Megan has been sucked under and it's my fault. I'm terrified. Will I be stuck like this all night? It's going to be freezing. The thoughts of death swirl through my mind. No, this is not how I will die. I will not be swallowed by the lake I love. As I'm thinking, I see an outline on the shore. The last light of the sun is still in the sky, but quickly diminishing. When I focus on the outline, it looks to be a person in a dress, a woman. Looking out at the lake, I call to her. Hey, hello, can you hear me? The outline doesn't move. I call again, louder. Hello, help me please. This time the outline moves. I can tell she's walking closer to the lake, then into the lake. She walks forward until I can see the outline of her head above the surface. It's dangerous over here. Please go get help. I'm stuck. Her head dips underwater. A few seconds later, I feel the same cold water move past me. There's no way it's the woman. I feel a sharp tug on my leg as I am again pulled underwater. What the? I'm being pulled under again. This time I'm only able to get my chin above the water. The lady has been in the water for too long. What's going on? I feel the cold water surround my body, dropping from already freezing. Cold water moves around my ankle, up my leg, my torso, and finally breaking the surface of the water. Black, wet hair covers the face of who I believe is the woman from before. Except she looks more like a rotting corpse. Behind the strands of her hair is flesh, waterlogged and decaying. There are no features on this thing's face, only holes where the eyes and mouth used to be. I scream, but the sound is lost in my throat as the grip around my ankle is tightened and I'm sucked under the water. Watching the outline of the woman disappear from view as I am sucked further and further down, never to be seen again. Hey guys, it's Holly and Brittany, two sisters who take a deep dive into the history of the world's most haunted places and paranormal happenings. This is Sisterstitious, and it's about to get spooky.
About 40 miles outside of Atlanta, Georgia, a body of water resides covering 38,000 acres. 10 million people per year visit to enjoy the vast opportunities this lake promises. But what many don't know is that the land that sits just below the surface has a dark and dangerously racist past. Lake Sydney Lanier is one of the deadliest lakes in the nation, and it's rumored that this title wasn't given strictly because of boating accidents and drownings. There is something far more sinister going on. If you do decide to drop by to admire the seemingly serene waters of Lanier, use caution, because death, too, may just be your fate. Now, since every good ghost story starts at the beginning, that is where we're going to begin. The land that surrounds and sits below Lake Lanier had an extremely racist and controversial past. In the 1820s, some members of the Cherokee Nation were dwelling in the area of Forsyth County. The state of Georgia was trying to force them out since they felt that the Cherokee couldn't have sovereignty over this area. Even though the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Cherokees, the state of Georgia didn't care and they sent gold miners and farmers into the land to divide the space into gold lots, which made it difficult for the Cherokee to prosper in their owned land. As a final push to remove the Cherokee and transfer them to Native American territory, the Treaty of New Echota was signed. This treaty was not agreed upon by the Cherokee Nation Council, and many Cherokee people believe this treaty was a sham. Even though they refused to leave their homes, they were forced out by 7,000 federal and state troops. About 13,000 Cherokees were forced to leave by foot, wagon, and horseback on an 800-mile treacherous route through Tennessee, Kentucky, Illinois, Missouri, and Arkansas. Due to the harsh environment, about 4,000 of these people perished. Near where Lake Lanier stands is one of the southeastern origins of the Trail of Tears. The Cherokees weren't the only community to be banished from this area. About a century later, in a town called Oscarville and surrounding land in Forsyth County, black residents who owned homes, farmland, and built a flourishing community were driven out by a racially fueled fury of white men known as the Night Riders. About 1,100 black residents lived in Forsyth County in 1912. On September 5th, two black men from the town were arrested for an alleged assault of a white woman. Only a couple of days later, the body of 18-year-old May Crow was found in the woods near the area. We would like to add that this murder has never been solved. But a mirror that belonged to Ernest Knox was said to be found near the body. A local white community member took Knox on a guise to get water, but threatened Knox with a mock lynching if he did not confess to the murder. Under the pressure of being lynched, he confessed to the crime. He was then arrested and taken to the county jail in Gainesville, but later moved to the Fulton County Jail in Atlanta, Georgia. Police started going door to door, questioning residents of the community if they had seen anything. A neighbor of Knox, Ed Collins, said that Knox and a friend used some of his lanterns the night before and headed towards May Crow's house. After this statement, 17-year-old Oscar Daniel 22-year-old trusty Jane Daniel and her boyfriend, 24-year-old Big Rob Edwards, were arrested the next day, as they were said to be with Knox the night of the murder. They were taken to the county jail in Cumming. Once word got out that suspects were being held at the jail, a lynching mob of 4,000 white men arrived. They stormed the jail, entered the cell of Big Rob Edwards, and shot and killed him. The mob then drug his body through the streets and hung him from a telephone pole in the coming town square. 
The crowd then continued to mutilate his body as it hung. Then, the night before the trial, prosecutors met with Jane Daniel in secret. They told her that as long as she testified against her brother Oscar Daniel and Ernest Knox, her charges would be dropped. Before this meeting with the prosecutor, she had never said a word. On the day of the trial, Oscar Daniel and Ernest Knox were given an all-white jury. And with the prosecution using Jane Daniel's supposed testimony and Ernest Knox's forced confession, the prosecution fabricated a story of what happened the night of May Crow's murder. They said that he struck Crow from behind while she was walking along Browns Bridge Road, drug her down a gully in the woods, raped and beat her until he thought she was dead. Ernest Knox then supposedly told three friends what he had done. These friends were Oscar, Big Rob, and Trussie. Oscar Daniel and Ernest Knox were then convicted of rape and murder without any solid evidence. They were sentenced to death by hanging. Public hanging was not allowed at this time, and only the family, minister, and law officers were allowed to be in attendance. A fence was built around the gallows, but it was burned down the night before and a massive crowd of about 8,000 people came to watch the lynching of the two boys. Even though public lynching was against the law by this time, we can see that the law didn't actually care to protect these boys. Their execution became a public display for all to see. Over the next few months, raids of white men named Night Riders continued to come through the town threatening the black residents that if they didn't leave, they would be killed. Those who did not obey the orders of this despicable and monstrous group were shot at, had their houses burned down, livestock killed, and much worse. 98% of the black community fled Forsyth County to find a safer place to live. Many of them left homes, land, and farms that sustained them. Many lost everything to flee for their safety, only to have whites come in and grant themselves proprietors of this stolen land. While this is just a summary of what happened in this community, the history is so very important to know and share. We highly suggest reading Blood at the Root, A Racial Cleansing in America by Patrick Phillips. Over the years, the land continued to be owned by mainly white residents. They would also be driven out of their communities when the construction of Lake Lanier would begin. Many of these residents were paid sums of money in return for their land, but when moving and getting reestablished, realized that the money they were given was not enough to sustain them. Also, many felt that no matter how much money they would have been paid, it never would have compared to the generations of memories collected in their homes. The displacement of these people in their communities did not go over well, and many felt they were not only financially cheated, but emotionally cheated as well. The lake was originally built to provide flood control, power through hydroelectricity, and to be a water supply for the city of Atlanta. The $1 billion project was given the go-ahead with breaking ground to begin in 1950. Areas that were too close to the planned shoreline were abandoned, like part of Georgia Highway 53 and Gainesville's Looper Speedway. Things did not go swimmingly, pun intended, of course, and after $2 million had been spent, the House Committee of Appropriations did not want to offer more money. Infuriated by this, Atlanta Mayor William Hartsfield went to Washington to press for more money. Stating the importance of this project was to regulate flooding and provide enough drinking water for his city. He was given $11 million and Lake Lanier was to begin being filled in 1956. In total, 250 families, 15 businesses, and 20 cemeteries were relocated. 
Overall, the government was given rights to 56,000 acres of land in Forsyth, Hall, and Dawson County to accompany space for the 38,000-acre lake. The naming of the lake also brought about issues. While there were many names suggested for the lake, it was given the name Lake Sidney Lanier after the Sidney Lanier who served in the Confederate Army and wrote the poem Song of the Chattahoochee. From Russell's book, Underwater Ghost Towns of North Georgia, the sons of Confederate veterans John B. Gordon Camp, number 46 of Atlanta, sent this letter to the senator. It read, While Sidney Lanier has always been honored and loved throughout the South, to the best of our knowledge, this would be the first time that an honor, national in scope, would be given to him. To give the name of the poet who wrote the beautiful Song of the Chattahoochee to a lake formed by this river seems to us to be a fitting memorial to Georgia's Sidney Lanier. It makes sense that a lake that covers controversial land below would be given a name just as controversial. Since there was so much to be cleared from the area before filling began, full homes were picked up and moved out of the areas. Graves were dug up and transferred from cemeteries, and areas were deemed condemned and abandoned. But not everything that was supposed to be cleared out was removed. Unclaimed bodies in the cemeteries are said to have been left, and unmarked graves were never dug up. Parts of buildings, such as foundations, were not removed. Ferries that crossed the waters of the Chattahoochee were abandoned and sunk, and even trees that stood a certain height were not dug up. Water then filled the area, leaving much of what was submerged underneath, still sitting at the bottom of the lake today. A common story told is that an ancient temple lies below the waters of Lake Lanier. Joseph Caldwell, an archaeologist, was part of conducting extensive excavations prior to the development of many of the North Georgia lakes. One site, named Summer Hour Mound Site, was discovered and excavated from 1951 to 1954. There is little information and documentation on this site, but by examining Native American pottery sherds found at the site, the mound was believed to be used by Native American tribes during the late woodland period. During his excavation, he discovered what he believed to be ruins of a temple. This temple could have been used for ritualistic purposes or could have been used as a burial site. This site is now flooded under Lake Lanier. After the lake was filled, tragedy continued to strike. In 1958, two women named Susie Roberts and Delia Parker Young were headed out for a fun night en route to the Three Gabled Roadhouse in Dawsonville. After fleeing a gas station without paying, Susie lost control of her car on a bridge near Dawsonville Highway, and her car landed in the lake below. The lake was searched, but the car and woman were never found. About a year and a half later, a fisherman who was fishing underneath Dawsonville Highway saw a body of a woman in a blue dress that had both hands missing and two toes missing off of her left foot. Since her body was unrecognizable from the water and deterioration, she was laid to rest in an unmarked grave. About 30 years later, while construction crews were working on the bridge, they discovered the same car that belonged to Susie. When they removed it out of the water, a body of a female was still inside. They were able to identify Susie Roberts through dental records. After identifying her, it was clear that the other woman found decades earlier was Delia, and she was given a proper burial and headstone. But this isn't where our story stops. 
In fact, this is where claims of hauntings have begun. Travelers on the bridge have claimed to see a woman walking along the side of the road, wearing a blue dress with missing hands. Her apparition has been dubbed Lady of the Lake. Another strange sighting on the lake is that of a ghost raft. Two fishermen were out fishing on a cold night around 1 a.m. They saw a raft with a lantern on a pole and a shadow figure using a pole to push through the water. The figure then shouted something at the fishermen and jumped into the icy cold waters, swimming in their direction. Understandably, this freaked the fishermen out and they abruptly got their things together so that they could get the heck off the lake. Then suddenly, the lantern from the raft went out. When they turned their lights towards where the raft sat, it was gone. Ghosts and phantoms aren't the only strange encounters one can have on this lake. Fishermen and divers have said that catfish, as large as children, occupy the bottom of the lake. Divers had said to see them while fixing bridges or examining conditions under the water. One of the most common stories concerning these massive fish is that a truck carrying live chickens fell off of the Thompson Bridge in the 1980s. Divers went down below to examine what happened and found catfish the size of 12-year-old boys around the sunken truck, swallowing the chickens whole. Some divers were traumatized from this sighting and stated they would not go down there again. These catfish are also said to hook onto fishermen's lines and drag their boats around the lake. If you do decide to visit the lake, you may want to keep small pets away from the water, as these catfish have been accused of swallowing up small dogs. If these stories of lore aren't putting you off from jumping into Lake Lanier already, real-life disappearances and death are common in and around the lake. One example of this is the unsolved death of Kelly Nash. Nash and his girlfriend lived in Beaufort, Georgia, near Lake Lanier. On the morning of January 5, 2015, around 4 a.m., Nash woke up feeling ill and decided to go lay down on the couch. His girlfriend woke up around 7.30 a.m. and noticed that Nash was gone. Left at home was his wallet, car keys, and ID, but what wasn't left at home was a 9mm pistol. A huge search party looked for Nash, but he was not discovered until about a month later. A fisherman discovered his decomposed body wearing the same pajama pants and shirt he had been wearing the night of his disappearance. He had a gunshot wound to the head, but there was no other major trauma to his body. Possibility of foul play or suicide still accompanies this case, but there are still a lot of unanswered questions regarding what really happened to Kelly Nash, and if the sinister side of Lake Lanier had anything to do with this tragic passing. Another mysterious case centering around Lake Lanier is the death of 16-year-old Hannah Truelove. Hannah disappeared from her apartment complex near the lake on August 24, 2012. Hannah had tweeted several strange messages that she hated living at the apartment complex and that she was being stalked by a strange man. One tweet included said, So scared right now. Her body was discovered the next day, and she had been stabbed multiple times. But the stab wounds didn't really seem like they would have been life-threatening. Her actual cause of death is still a mystery. Hannah's father said that Hannah was acting completely normal the last few days before her death, and that she never brought up the stalker to him. Even after extensive interviews and major investigation, the case was left cold. We all know by now that Lake Lanier is one of the deadliest lakes in the nation, but many of the deaths in and around the lake can be summed up to reckless activities, inattentiveness, or drinking while boating. 
Yes, many of the tragic deaths that happened in the water could have been completely avoided. But with the lake continuously gaining so much popularity, it is common for the waters to be overly crowded and dangerous. The strange thing about these deaths is how common they are and how hard it is to find bodies that go missing in the waters. We can't be sure that all the deaths in the waters have been due to reckless behavior. Survivors of accidents or drownings have made claims that they felt hands grip them and try to pull them under. Other survivors have said that while they were swimming, it was as if their lungs just collapsed and they could no longer breathe. There have been almost 700 deaths in the water of Lake Lanier, and you can probably count even more with bodies never been found. In 2007, a massive drought hit Georgia and the lake's water reached record lows. Across the lake, you could find trees and debris poking out of the water. Even remains of seating from the Looper Speedway were visible. This gave the ordinary person an idea of what truly lives below the waters. If you are one of the brave souls who chooses to dive deep in Lanier, know that even professional divers have deemed it to be dangerous. Sergeant Chris Temple of Hall County Sheriff's Dive Team said that diving in Lake Lanier is one of the most dangerous things I've ever done in my career. Videos of the bottom of Lanier can be viewed across the internet from divers' cameras. Most of the time, it has been hard for divers to get good footage since the deeper and deeper you go, the murkier the water becomes. If you dive into the depths of Lake Lanier, you can expect to find capsized ferry boats that were abandoned during the filling of Lanier, grown trees, parts of buildings and homes, and even bodies. Buck Buchanan, a local diver, said, You reach out into the dark and you feel an arm or a leg and it doesn't move. That's creepy. Yes. Yes, it is, Buck. With Lake Lanier's haunted and cursed reputation, it's not at all surprising that many have started coming forward with their own stories and pushing for others to stay clear of the water. Even if you don't believe all of what you've heard, it's hard to deny that this is just any old ordinary body of water. The dark history of the land before and during the birth of the lake doesn't just go away with the flooding of land. In fact, it stays, it sits, it waits. The darkness that lies in the deep, murky waters is waiting for you. Will you be its next victim? Hey, Brittany, are you ready to break down this episode? Hey, Holly. Yeah, let's get into it. So uh, this episode... I forgot to turn off my um, text sound. Sorry, guys. Okay. Um, so th- it's kind of crazy because while I feel like I know a lot of the, you know, a lot of the stories that we have done, I knew some background information from them. So researching was a lot easier for some of the stories that we did previously than the research for this Lake Lanier episode, because a lot of what we, you know, a lot of what I've heard has just been like hearsay. So basically just knowing bits and pieces of what people have been saying about Lake Lanier and it being haunted or cursed has just been like me hearing bits and pieces, right? So to actually take all of the history and look at the land itself before it became Lake Lanier. I mean, that was 
that was a lot of research and history and getting into that history. And us growing up in Miami, we didn't get taught a lot of the, you know, Georgia history. So Mm -hmm. this was learn. I mean, some of it I already knew about, but a lot of it, you know, was just learning and digging and really discovering how terrible so many people were treated who lived in this land. Right. It was just tragedy on top of tragedy. Right. And I know that in a lot of places, so many tragic things happen. And a lot of places, sometimes that history is erased, that history is not talked about. So getting into this episode and talking about Lake Lanier, it's just really important to share all of the tragedy that happened in this land before it became a lake. So I just remember when we first moved up here and it was, you know, oh, there's a lake nearby. And you're like, oh, that's cool. We didn't really grow up near lakes. We had the beach or bays. And they'd be like, oh, but it's haunted. And you're like, it's haunted? What's a haunted mm-hmm. lake, you know? Right. And you're like, oh, well, it was built on top of cemeteries. And, you know, that is true, but just the rumor mill that comes out doesn't do any justice to the actual history of the lake. Mm-hmm. Right. I was, what I was going to say is a lot of the things that people have said, you know, parts of it are true. As you heard in the episode, like we know that, well, it's not like the the whole rumor, the whole truth is there. There are bits and pieces of it, right? So like it mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily built on top of, or not built, it wasn't necessarily filled on top of a cemetery, but it was filled on top of unmarked graves. It was filled on top of some, you know, some of these bodies that were left behind where they didn't get claimed. And then we heard about the old temple, the Native American temple. That was pretty crazy, too. So it's mm-hmm. it was just really interesting to see how people kind of developed these stories from the actual history that took place in the area. Right. And then through just reading articles that people write about Lake Lanier, and I feel like you can definitely tell who is from the area and who isn't with the research because... There were some articles that were just so exaggerated on how the lake is and what it looks like that you were like, all right, you didn't spend your youth playing in the waters of Lake Lanier. Yeah. Um, I really haven't spent a lot of time on Lake Lanier. I think I've been on the I've been on it like I've been on the lake um, on boats with friends, but I really haven't spent a lot of time. And another interesting thing that I was thinking about when we were doing this research is like, I mean, Lake Lanier is cool, but I feel like there's way better lakes out there. And why is it that it attracts so many people? Yeah, that is weird because, I mean, it's a big lake, but it's not the biggest lake. It's not the biggest lake at all. Georgia's pretty, but it doesn't have like a amazing scenic background either. It's woods. That's all that surrounds the lake. Once again, like we didn't grow up in this area. We grew up in Miami where you could just go to the beach. So Mm -hmm. I don't know why, if it's just like one of the biggest lakes in like the general area, if that's why it's easier. But I mean, people are coming from all over the United States to come to Lake Lanier. And I know there's been more like draw to it with the filming of movies and the filming of Ozark. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, I wonder if 
because it because of this like weird energy that it has because it definitely has a weird energy there's a lot more deaths on this lake than there are in in other lakes it's not the deadliest lake i think i believe like michigan mm-hmm. is the deadliest lake right but i don't know i i wonder if there's just energy that like pulls people into into the water well that's what um a couple of the articles have said about people who went into the water that they were being told to come down to the bottom of it. Oh, yeah. Just, I forgot about that. Yeah. So they would be swimming, you know, go underwater for whatever reason. You're swimming in a lake. You're allowed to put your head underwater. And then you hear, come with us. And you're like, okay. And then you uh, drown. Yeah. I guess if anybody hears that, they must uh, have some kind of spell being put over them. Because I don't think any sane person would be like, Yep, gonna go down deeper, gonna see what this is. Sounds like fun. And, you know, I think it's so interesting. And a lot of people that I've talked to who grew up around oceans versus lakes don't like lakes. Mm -hmm. You can't see what's beneath you. You don't know how deep it is. You don't know what's on the bottom. And, like, in the ocean, you know, there are some parts where you can't see what's underneath you when you're on the shore. But for the most part... I mean, unless it's like a shark, nothing's right. gonna come get you. But yeah. in in lakes, it's like snakes, snapping turtles, catfish will come mm-hmm. eat you up. Yeah, it's and then you put your hand down in the water and it's gone. You can't see it anymore. Yes, I yes, don't know. that's yeah. Lake Lanier is really murky. Um, and yeah, I mean, lakes lakes freak me out in general. I don't love them, and I think it is because we grew up near the ocean so it is it's like super different it's super different it's a whole different vibe yeah life forms living in the water and I don't know I mean I guess I just feel like it's a lot dirtier you know and it's I don't know not to not to hate on lakes guys if you like lakes go for it that's you know that's your thing but Ugh, I don't, yeah, swimming in lakes, knowing, not knowing what's underneath me is just really freaky. Yeah. Like, I don't think that I could get paid enough money to ever want to, like, dive, deep dive into, well, Lake Lanier in general, but any other lake. Right. Um, when, there was one time I was on a, I went to my friend's lake and I lost my sunglasses and I had That's to. the worst put goggles on and swim underneath (laughs) the dock to try to find them and I couldn't find them but the whole time I was just like oh I hate this I hate every part of this like it was just like ugh, gives me the chills thinking about it yeah our uh our aunt and uncle have a lake house up in North Carolina and I swear every time we would go there I would just see snakes Mm. And they were, mm-hmm. you know, they're like water moccasins. Like, yeah, it's not like, oh, that's a little snake. If you don't bother it, it don't, it won't bother you. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. that yep. snake is gonna chase you down and bite you, and you're gonna die. Right. And so that's, I think that's another reason I don't like lakes. Um, I definitely don't want to get bit by a snapping turtle. But I, growing up in Miami, no snake was a good snake. Every mm-hmm. snake was bad. And right. so lakes, I feel like just 
that's where snakes gather and that's where they are and they're waiting under the dock to bite your ankles (laughs) yes yes i know i mean we bought a house on a little lake and i just like to look at it but um and and, you know like i enjoy feeding the geese by the lake and stuff (laughs) that's fun i do i feed them seeds guys i don't feed them bread so don't worry they love it But yes, I remember when we bought the house, my husband was like, yeah, the girls can go swimming in the lake, da 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 And I was like, uh, no, they're not getting in that water. There's no way they're getting in that water. I mean, it's it's not anywhere near the size of Lake Lanier, but like, and I'm definitely not getting in the water. I don't need like a flesh-eating bacteria to come eat us alive because we stepped foot in that water. But I think that's, I think the story of Lake Lanier and everything that sits below it, how, like how common that is for lakes to just have like so much ruins underneath their water, you know, they're just filling it up and leaving stuff behind. I don't know if that's pretty common. Well, and the, the interesting thing about Lake Lanier is the amount of deaths that it has because I live right next to Lake Alatoona, and it has a third of the recorded deaths. And it was mm. also a man-made lake built by the Corps of Engineers and built over previously previously established um, homes. Yeah. So it, it doesn't get when you talk about Lake Alatoona, it doesn't get the same reaction from people that Lake Lanier does. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't go, "Oh, that lake's haunted." They're just like, "Oh yeah, I love Lake Alatoona," yeah. and so. Um, and it's not nearly the same size as Lake Lanier, but what was interesting reading about the land before it was Lake Lanier is all the different, it truly was almost like a valley. There were so mm-hmm. many deep parts in the city, and then there were like hills and everything, and some of those hills are actually what some of the islands are on Lake Lanier. Hmm. So, but there are some parts of the lakes where or the lake, not lakes, where the water is a certain level or the to the ground is a certain level, and then it just drops yeah. like 100 feet for mm-hmm. no reason yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes navigating the floor of the lake so dangerous. Mm-hmm. And there are certain areas of the lake where not a lot of stuff was taken out prior to construction. Yeah. And those parts of the lakes are actually... Um, I don't know what the word is, but they're like roped off to where you can't drive your boat through it. It's unsafe to swim in it. They don't allow anyone to go into those areas, um, Mm -hmm. and they're patrolled. And part one of those areas is where the Looper Speedway is because Mm -hmm. when the drought comes through, you can still see the bleachers, and you can like climb on them, which is Mm -hmm. crazy. I feel like they would have been rusted away by now, but they still the skeletons of them are still there. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I'm sure that's why. I mean, just the different currents that all these different levels, I'm sure, creates. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like factual and scientific reasons as to why there's a lot more deaths and why when people die, it's harder to find their bodies because of exactly what you just said. Your body, you know, you could be drowning and your body could pulled underneath something and mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to find you. And I know that they're the, the divers, it's rare that they're going to get like 
clear and good visibility when they're diving. And there's like tons of times where they are just like diving and then they're just like submerged into like blackness. And it's just, yeah. And how I know one of them was saying that one of the divers was saying that he like dropped into an old well that was there before and had to like find his way out. That's terrifying. Like, did you, did you watch any of the videos on like YouTube of divers going to the bottom of Lake Lanier? Yeah. There was one that I watched that was like 30 minutes long and it starts out in the water's green, which Mm -hmm. I thought was really interesting because from the surface of the water, it looks brown, but the water was green underneath the surface with the sunlight coming through, but they started to go into deeper and deeper waters and it was black. Like they had their flashlights and you couldn't see your hand in front of you. Mm -hmm. And those divers actually got caught on submerged fishing line Mm. and they were like that was literally the most dangerous dive i've ever done yeah and to think that a man-made lake is that dangerous in comparison to scuba diving somewhere in the raw ocean where Mm -hmm. these are not man-made structures these are made from water erosion and all that kind of stuff that it's just so weird to me yeah well the originally the lake wasn't wasn't made for recreational purposes. Right. It was just for like energy and water and Atlanta's water. So I don't think that they felt it was important to get everything out of the way. I mean, to me, it just like was like just such a half ass job, you know, like, oh, well, yeah, we're just going to leave this because, you know, we're losing time and we got to get this water filled up. And I think it took five years for the water mm-hmm. to fill all the way. But it's just like, yeah, such a half-assed job. Come on, guys. So I think I think the only positive of the lake not being fully cleared out and leaving things behind is that it's, you know, it's raised a lot of questions. It's it's made people wonder, you know, what what took place when Lanier was being built. Yeah, and the history that um, follows a lot of the places everyone goes every day. Unless you're doing a deep dive into what was once there, it's probably not talked about unless, you know, you have a historical plaque. But I think that there are some things that people would like to erase from history and there isn't good documentation and it's not talked about as much as it should. So one of the, you know, one of the cities that we talked about where Lake Lanier is is Oscarville, but there were other communities that were not as well documented as Oscarville, and we don't know what happened to those areas, and it's not easy to find on the internet. You'll probably have to talk to a local from that area of word of mouth what happened being passed down, and it's honestly such a tragedy that this is how um, some of this information comes to light, and that I think collectively, if we all are just more aware of what's under our feet, we'll have a deeper appreciation for what we take for granted almost every day, per se. Yeah. So I know that Lake Lanier sits in Forsyth County, which is where Oscarville was. And I mean, Forsyth County just has such a such a racist past. And that's a fact. So not letting these stories be erased with time 
is just going to continue to be important and telling these stories is going to continue to be important. And I think that there are, while I think that there are a lot of logical reasons why all of these deaths are happening at Lake Lanier, there are still stories that are being told that are so questionable as to what the heck is going on there. And I mean, there's bad energy, like bad people lived in these areas. Mm -hmm. Bad things happened to the people that lived in these areas I mean, that energy just doesn't go away. So I think that the negative energy that is surrounding Lake Lanier and what it has done to people and what it's done to people's lives is important. And I think that that's the reason why we're able to kind of focus on the past of what happened. Right. Couldn't have said it better myself. So next week, we are moving away from Georgia, and we're going to go to Colorado, and maybe you guys can guess where we're going to talk about, but it's a pretty well-known haunted place. So we are definitely excited about that, and I guess we'll see you next week if you don't have anything to say, Brittany. I just love the name. It's a fun name, and I guess next week we'll also talk about in the banter why it's a fun name. Yeah, good. (laughs) Sounds good. All right, well, we will see you guys next week. Yeah, and think about it next time because summer's coming up. Think about it next time you're out on Lake Lanier. (laughs) Yeah, or just don't go to Lake Lanier. True. Go to Lake Alatoona. You can come hang out with me. Yeah. All right, bye, guys. Bye, guys. This episode was produced, written, and edited by Holly Daniel and Brittany Murray. Cover art by Ben May. We want to thank you for listening to this production of Sister Stitious.